Well, this morning as we celebrate our third Sunday in Advent, we find ourselves in the midst of an interesting season of life, don't we? It's a season of busyness, but it's also a season of waiting. Right? Waiting, and for us in the church, reflecting, not just in shopping lines, but waiting and reflecting on our King. Waiting and reflecting on the birth and for the birth of our King, and, and at, yet at the same time waiting and reflecting and hoping and longing for the day of Jesus' return. But we're not very good at waiting. Some may have a spiritual gift of waiting, but most, most do not. Uh, and I, I admit, I am terrible at waiting. I don't like waiting at stop signs, right, or stop lights. I'm that guy who weaves in and out of traffic when you're in a jam and only to realize that you got nowhere and should have just stayed in the same line. But we're bad all the, so often at waiting. It's just not fun. And our series that we're looking at is called Emmanuel, as Pastor Tim said earlier. And we're looking at the names of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what this series is about, is that while we're waiting, we are not waiting alone. Because God is with us. And so we're looking at these names from Isaiah 9, 6. That his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so this morning, we're looking at Everlasting Father. Because each one of those names reflects God's character of who He is and how He relates to us. So the third name in that list this morning, Everlasting Father. And the question that we're asking, and I want us to reflect and think about as as we hear God's Word this morning, is what does having an Everlasting Father mean for you? What does having an Everlasting Father mean for you? From Romans chapter 8, we're looking at verses 14 through 17. Hear God's word this morning. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to the concept that you are our everlasting Father. Impress that upon our minds and our souls this morning, in Christ's name. Amen. And so the passage leading up to Romans 8 
Paul has been stressing to the Christians in Rome that they can be assured of their salvation, right? And they can have power over sin. And then we get to Romans 8, 14 and 15. And for the first time, Paul introduces this concept of adoption, right? Paul introduces this concept of us becoming children of God, this this idea of sonship. And I know that when we hear the word sonship, we immediately want to make it politically correct and somehow change it around. But just a note about the son here, the idea of Christians being called sons in first century Rome, it was true that privilege and power was given to males. And so the fact that Paul is using the word son is actually a really big deal. Because what Paul is doing is he's showing that God does not make a distinction regarding power and privilege, that both male and female are heirs as children of the king. And so it's important for us to understand that as we move throughout this passage, understanding what does it mean for God to be our eternal father. But before we even answer that question, we've got to go back and say, how is he our father? And Paul shows us right here in verse 15. He says, through what? Through adoption. How are we God's children? What what, what does that exactly mean? We're we're God's children through adoption. Adoption. And that means several things. And it means that, number one, that we're not naturally God's children. We're not born into it. There must have been a time when we were not, right? John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so this adoption is a legal action. And it's not something where you win the Father over. It's something that the Father does on his own accord, and it was a costly action, especially in this first century when Paul is writing about this. Because when you adopted someone, it was a really, really, really big deal. And as Tim Keller writes often and talks about, he says that that several things happened when one was adopted in first century, and one of them was that this, this child's old debts and legal obligations were completely canceled. Right? They get a new name. And instantly are heir of all the father had. That they, this father is completely liable for that adopted child. And that there's an, this, the child then has an obligation to, and desire even to please the father. And so when we're thinking about this concept of adoption and this idea that we're children of God, I understand that. You know, there's Christmas songs uh, that Santa knows we're all God's children, and that makes everything right. Well, that's not exactly the case, is it? Because if, if you you either are or you're not, and so there's this idea that um, it's a calling that God has, and it's a calling that He has on our lives. And so, we how are we His children? We are His children. How is God our Father? As a follower of Jesus, when you put your faith and your trust in Christ because of Him. We become sons and daughters of the king. And so what then does having an everlasting father mean for you? If you're, as we're looking at this passage of scripture, you'll notice several things. Hey, look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. This is my favorite passage of scripture in the whole Bible. This section of scripture 
right here. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But there's several things that it means. And it means at least four ways and four things that it means for us having an everlasting father. And here's the first one. As Number one, as a child of the king, you are led by God's spirit. All right, look at verse 14. What does it say? It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. So when we become Christians, we not only get a, a status change, right? Dead to alive, slave to free, under condemnation, no condemnation, but we have the active presence of the living God inside our hearts, inside our lives, inside our minds. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you go, wait a minute now, we're in a Presbyterian church, don't start talking about the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit, Presbyterians, this morning. As my former pastor used to say, I'm Pentecostal with a seatbelt. Right? We don't need to be afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit. And I get it. It can be a little scary. Because anytime somebody comes to me and says, well, God told me this. I'm all ears. And my radar goes off because I go, oh, really? Let's see where this is going to go. And sometimes it's good. But sometimes you sit here and go, wait a minute. Where do we hear this? Because God is not telling you something that's contradictory to his word. And I'm not going to dive into the intricacies of the Holy Spirit, but suffice it to say that He does speak to us, and He speaks to us through His Word. And that very same Holy Spirit that, that changes our hearts when we first come to know Christ is actively working in our hearts and in our lives. Paul says in Romans 12 uh, that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Holy Spirit leads us in our minds. He's leading and moving and prompting and growing us in our, holy, in our holiness. And even the verses that, that were before this in, uh, in Romans 8, Paul's talking about how the Holy Spirit gives us power to defeat and have victory over sin. And so as a child of the King, you are led by the Spirit. But how often are you aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because Paul's point here is not to make you doubt your salvation, it's assuring you. It's reminding you that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And that that's a real promise and that we have the real power of God's Spirit in us. And He is actively leading us and actively guiding us and actively calling us to Himself and calling us to grow in our holiness. And so that's the first thing we see that we are led by God's Spirit. But number two, as a child of the King, you're no longer a slave to fear. Look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Ancient kings... And rulers have always claimed to be what? Claimed to be father over their subjects. Right? Subjects, however, don't obey just because of their status, do they? Why? They obey out of fear of punishment. They obey out of fear of, of, of punishment. Employees approach their bosses. How? 
they approach their bosses so often on their performance, right? If you fear losing your job, then what do you do? You work hard and do whatever it takes to keep that job. And what Paul is stressing here is that you're no longer a slave. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free from performance and fear. That as a follower of Jesus, his perfect record, that Jesus' perfect record is now your perfect record. And this is a legal binding type contract. You know, apparently, uh, I've only lived in the state of Georgia for three years, but apparently in the state of Georgia, rumor has it, I don't know this from experience, but rumor has it that when you get a speeding ticket in the state of Georgia, you don't just get a speeding ticket because you pay your fine, you're like, okay, this is done, it's over. And then a few weeks later, you get a little letter in the mail. And this letter in the mail tells you that not only are you a speeder, you are a super speeder in the state of Georgia. You don't want one of these because they slap on another $200 fine on top of what you just paid And they kind of blindside you with it. But in that long, long letter of small print, they inform you that if you should not pay that fine by a certain date, guess what? They revoke your driver's license in the state of Georgia. Now, again, I've heard all this is to be rumored. I don't know that is the case. However, let's say that you were to receive one of these convicted by the Holy Spirit, you needed to slow down, and so you do, and you pay your fine, you pay the extra amount, and guess what? You don't get your driver's license suspended. Why? Because the law says so. If you pay it, it doesn't get suspended. Now, let's say I paid that fine over, and my driver's license didn't get suspended. However, I just decided to stop driving and start walking. What would you think? You're crazy. Why? Because your driver's license is not suspended, but you're living as if your driver's license has been suspended. And what Paul is saying here is that you are safe and secure. You are living as if it matters, if if it's up to you, that it matters about your performance and your slave to that. But you are safe and secure and your identity and who you are is safe. That you, You no longer have to live as a slave because you have been freed in Jesus Christ. And so your identity is now one of a child of the King. And so my question is, are you living this morning in fear? Are you living in freedom? Are you trusting in your performance constantly up? or down, depending upon how you are doing? Or are you resting in Christ's performance on your behalf? Number three, as a child of the King, you have an intimate and personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. Right, So we're led by the Spirit. And we're adopted legally into God's family. And now we have an intimate and personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And listen to what Paul says. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery 
Right? We're no longer slaves. You've been free. And you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. Paul is stressing an intense and a personal intimacy. And so he uses this wording, this strong wording, Abba, Father. And Abba is a term that small children would use when addressing their fathers. Now I want you to think about this. Small children, when my small children see me, they don't say, oh, dearest father. Right? Small children don't address mom and dad that way. How do they address their, their moms and their dads? Mommy! Right? Daddy! That's how. And so this is a huge concept for, for Old Testament thinking, right? Because in the Old Testament, the idea of God being this close and personal father figure, it was, it was completely foreign. Not only was it foreign, it was somewhat irreverent. And yet it's the same term that Jesus uses when he prays to his father. That Jesus, when he prays, it addresses God as his father. And if you remember, as you say the Lord's Prayer, how does it start? Our Father. And what does Jesus say? He says, when you pray, pray like this. And Jesus invites the disciples in to address holy, aloof to some degree, God as Abba, Daddy, Father. He invites them in to address God in the same manner that he addresses God. And so if you look at what Paul says, he says, we cry out, we cry out. There's this deep connection and personal intimacy. And and God is no longer this distant theory, but Martin Lloyd-Jones says he's not merely a God in whom we believe intellectually or theologically or theoretically or even doctrinally only, but he's this intense, personal God. And i got to confess that this is probably and has been the hardest thing for me. Because I grew up without a presence of a physical father in my life. And so when you grow up like that, you grow up with all these insecurities and all these authority issues. And so the idea of having God as a father was, was quite foreign. It's been a hard thing to, for me to grasp. And I have a wonderful mother. She's actually here this morning, and she, you know, she, she did a lot, and she knew that she had to do a lot, because she was raising my sister and I by herself, but she also knew, knew that she couldn't do everything, right, and so she made a point, she's, I, she knew she couldn't replace my dad, and so she made a point to surround me with good male influences and, and mentors, uh, and it, which was crucially important, but it was a terribly hard concept for me to learn, this idea of God Desiring this personal relationship. This God who desires to protect. This God, God who desires to lead. This God who desires to shepherd. This God who speaks messages as fathers do into their sons' lives that you have what it takes. That you can do it. And I think that's why this is my favorite passage of Scripture because despite not having an earthly father... It reminds me that I have a a heavenly father, a daddy. 
And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was reading this passage, it, it struck me as I've read this verse, over, I haven't memorized over and over, and as I was reading it, I, I was struck. And I was struck when I thought about walking into my door after a long day. And there's this interesting thing that happens when I walk in the door in the evening is it doesn't matter what kind of day I've had. And it doesn't matter uh, what is going on or what else is on my mind. I have three small children. And the minute that I walk in the door, whatever they're doing stops. It's not because I come in and say, hey, stop what you're doing. They stop and they throw it down. And what do they do? They come running as fast as they can. They go, Daddy! Right? They throw their arms around me. And if you've met my children, you know they make you feel like a million bucks and you're not their dad. But imagine when you feel that and you see that. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I was struck by the reality of that. And the fact that that's exactly how God wants us to approach Him. Right? It doesn't matter that I have it all together. They don't care if I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone else. They don't care if I'm in a meeting here. When they were in preschool, one of them like busted into my office one time with these fake snowballs and was like, ah, you know why? Because I'm his daddy. I don't have a position, I don't have power. I'm his daddy. And it was fun. And it's how God wants us to relate to him. It's how God wants us and desires for us to worship Him with abandonment and trust and delight and spontaneity. Like when a child sees their father, and it's hard for people who who maybe grew up without fathers like myself, but it's hard for all of us because... As we grow older, we, we lose that childlikeness. And yet here Paul is saying that that's the heartbeat of understanding God as our everlasting Father. Reckless trust. Reckless abandonment. To our perfect, perfect, perfect Heavenly Father. And so we have a personal and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, number three. But then number four, as a child of the King, you have assurance that you are part of God's family. If you look at verse 16, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. And if you think back to the first number, first point, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not only does it empower us to be free from sin, but it assures us inwardly that we are children of the King. King of the universe. That we are 
heirs, that we have rights as sons and daughters, that we're called up not to just be children and be one big happy family, but we're called to be a part of God's mission. That we're called to be a part of it together. Right? That's why he says we, we, if our spirit, that we are children of God. There's a plural nature of this. that we, You're not in this alone, but we're in this together. And so he calls us into that. And he assures us of that inwardly. And we've talked about the fact that he's a father. But he's not just a father because what's the title that Isaiah uses? That he's our what? Our everlasting father. That there's a foreverness, if that's even a word, a foreverness of God's fatherhood over us as his children. If you've ever seen the movie Sandlot, just think, right? Forever. Forever. Right? Small, when Small says that, it, it, it's a foreverness of God's love towards us. It's a foreverness of how He leads us. It's a foreverness, both now and for eternity. Because it's, a, it's an eternal Father who will never leave us or forsake us. Who, according to the author of Hebrews, is the exact same radiance of the glory of God. And that he upholds the universe and the world with his power. right? And then after making purifications for sin, what did he do? Hebrews says he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And he is interceding on our behalf right now for all eternity. And that is the everlastingness of our Father. And the everlastingness of our King. And so if you're here this morning, this, this Christmas season and you're not even sure where you stand I don't know if I'm a child of the king I don't even know if I believe this and my encouragement would, would be to come talk to, to myself or Pastor Tim or whoever brought you or one of our elders we'd love to talk to you more about what it means to follow Jesus about what it means to become a child of the king and if you're here this, this Christmas season, and you know that you're a child, and you, but it doesn't feel like it. You feel like there's this grand canyon between you and God, the Father. And you're struggling to believe that He could love me because of you fill in the blank. Or you're struggling to remember The, the way in which a small child throws caution to the wind and clings to their daddy, then my encouragement to you this morning is be reminded afresh of who he is and whose you are. Of who you are and whose you are. Because that is your king. Spend some time thinking about this this week. Spend some time talking with your family about it. Spend some time in prayer, in solitude, in silence. Maybe remembering afresh that you are loved deeply. 
and that you are loved eternally by your everlasting Father.